Thank you very much, and uh, good afternoon to everyone. I will try to be the one who, who tries to wake you up for further questions. Um, so my, the topic uh, that I will present on today is uh, on energy efficiency and from certain perspective, uh, how efficient the energy regulatory framework today is and how it could be for the longer term. For those of you who are not necessarily familiar with Kinstar, we are an independent international law firm operating exclusively in Central and Southern Europe and Central Asia. So we have offices in uh, Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, in the Central European area. And then, uh, of, uh, and you'll see from the map that we've got um, uh, energy community uh, member states uh, such as uh, Serbia, Ukraine. Um, and we also have operations in Turkey, Bulgaria, uh, and Kazakhstan. Um, so it, it gives us quite a bit of overview of, of different uh, angles on energy policy and energy regulatory issues. And the energy sector has always been a, an important focus area for our firm. Um, the, the main topics I want to cover today are energy efficiency within the, the context of the current EU energy policy. Uh, and then turning to the promotion of energy efficiency measures by way of market-based instruments and initiatives, as well as some aspects of state interventions in the energy efficiency field. And we'll try to draw conclusions partly based on our practical experience across these countries that we've seen um, in recent times. In terms of energy efficiency within the context of the energy union and current energy policy, um, most of you will be aware of the various uh, directives and regulations in this field. Uh, my presentation will focus primarily on the energy efficiency directive itself um, and will not speak more on, uh, for example, the EPB, the energy performance of buildings directives and some of the other uh, regulatory instruments that are uh, relevant in this field. Now, energy efficiency, uh, it, within the Energy Union initiative is clearly one where the European Commission is trying to give a new momentum, a new impetus to, to, to this uh, area. Whilst it has been a policy objective for quite some time, um, it was the Energy Union communication or paper which put forward the idea of fundamentally rethinking the role of energy efficiency and and treating as energy source in its own right. Um, and the, the perspective that the Energy Union paper suggests, I think, is quite relevant, uh, making it a primary consideration for member state energy policy making. Um, and to design uh, a market structure where energy efficiency measures could compete on equal terms with power plant capacities, a very interesting thought. Um, and as we know, the three main focus areas uh, for energy efficiency measures are building stock, uh, transport, and heating and cooling, with some further areas, um, of course. Uh, what I would really like to emphasize, and uh, I think wise there were a couple of um, occasions to mention, but I think it's, it's also a very important focus area, is that within the framework of the Energy Union Initiative, the European Commission is trying to put forward uh, kind of a refocused energy R&I priority setup, within which one of the key priority areas, uh, according to the Commission's intentions at least, would be uh, developing efficient energy uh, systems 
and energy neutral buildings. Um, and then there are various initiatives on the financing side uh, within the framework of the European Energy Union, including the Smart Financing for Smart Buildings initiatives. There's been a lot of talk today and, and also yesterday about the various targets. Um, and uh, what I would like to point out is maybe the, the interplay between energy efficiency targets and, and those of, um, for example, the renewable energy targets. Um, and, and also highlight the fact that um, since the launch of the Energy Union Initiative, there were two important uh, milestones, I would describe it uh, like that, um, of the review process that is ongoing in relation to energy efficiency regulation or the directive itself. Uh, in November last year, um, the, uh, the review pointed out that uh, we are not exactly yet there where we may want it to be in terms of the 2020 targets, although we are on track, but. And this was also complemented with certain statements about the fact that the, the actual implementation deadline uh, for the Energy Efficiency Directive was not uh, well successfully met in, in many countries. It's one of the areas where the European Commission has launched uh, quite a number of um, uh, procedures against the member states. Um, with the result that now we basically have a more or less implemented EED um, um, national legislation in, in most countries. Um, and the, the November review pointed out that areas where further progress is necessary are um, a quite, I would say, uh, well, deep. Uh, because the Commission says that member states must, must take additional new measures to achieve uh, their national targets and also set more ambitious national targets to achieve the European level targets. Um, and one very interesting point that clearly from the perspective of the region where I'm coming from is, is, is quite obvious, and that is that there are huge differences between, I would say, the more developed uh, member states and the less developed member states in terms of energy intensity, especially in, in industry. Uh, and these are probably the one area which is extremely difficult to overcome for all kinds of economic reasons. Um, and uh, the, uh, the, the review went on with further public consultation, and I wanted to share with you some of the results of this consultation, which uh, was concluded this year. Um, and because these are the points that we'll come back when I speak to you about uh, some of the practical um, experiences we have had with energy efficiency projects and, and stakeholders. Um, within the framework of this consultation, the, the, the interested parties express that they find the current energy efficiency framework extremely complex, which even for member state uh, entities would require additional guidance from the Commission's side. Um, there were indications that the energy savings calculations should be, should be based not on projections, but rather on actually observed data. Um, and uh, one important point that was also made, which of course is not extremely surprising, at least from a legal perspective, that um, if member states' progress is not satisfactory, then the Commission should actually take actions and potentially sanction non-compliance. Um, further barriers that were identified by participants included uh, a perspective on the time frame of uh, the rules, because uh, as you will see or you will hear from me, um, uh, 
market-based energy efficiency measures uh, are longer term. And if you have a, a framework which stops in five years' time or four years' time, then it's very difficult to, to implement actual projects. Uh, and there are various occasions of very high administrative burdens on the market players. Um, and one area where uh, there's a lot of debate and there's a lot of controversy is, for example, the verification of energy savings. Um, because uh, it's even, even within the framework of private projects, it's very uh, highly debated. But also there are indications that, for example, uh, the rules uh, for the accounting of, uh, of energy efficiency investments are not exactly the right ones, and that public authorities in particular should take a longer-term perspective and rather base their public procurement decisions on life-cycle cost analysis as opposed to some of the current approaches that they are taking. Now, within the framework of the Energy Union, there is the ongoing process of the review of both directives, um, so the energy efficiency directive and the energy performance of building directives. It's an ongoing process. These are just indications of some of the areas that have already been highlighted by um, this uh, review process. Um, but to my understanding, it has not yet been completed, so we'll have to see what the uh, ultimate conclusions will be of that review. Now, turning to how energy efficiency measures are in fact implemented in, in, in practice or in real life. Um, if someone looks uh, at the 2014 energy efficiency, efficiency communication of the Commission, already there very important uh, indications you can find about the fact that actual projects need to be promoted more. So the, the, the market for energy services as defined in the rules should be supported more and there is a clear need, according to the Commission, uh, to demonstrate the business case for such projects and measures. And I really think, based on experience, that this is still the case. Um, so on that basis, if, if we look at the landscape for energy efficiency uh, market-based projects and, and measures, um, and here there's just a few definitions about uh, some of the terms that are being used, um, if, if we look at, for example, energy performance contracting projects, EPCs are not to be mistaken with uh, power plant uh, uh, engineering and procurement construction contracts. Um, the, the essence of it is that ESCO um, uh, companies, energy services companies, would implement such projects uh, with the underlying idea of repaying investments for the purposes of energy efficiency increase or for enhanced energy savings uh, directly from the saved energy costs. That's the main idea of such uh, projects. Um, in other words, in order to have municipalities, industrial players, um, even shopping malls, but also, of course, the, the likes of uh, hospitals and schools, in order to have their uh, aging and, and inefficient uh, energy assets upgraded, uh, the idea is that it would take place on the basis of saved energy costs that the project would achieve. Um, and therefore, there are certain common characteristics of these type of projects that we see across our jurisdictions. Uh, you have a turnkey services setup, which already brings in complexity to the, to the project structure. 
uh, where the ESCO company is the one that gives the guarantee on energy savings to the ultimate client, whether it's a municipality or a school, etc. Uh, and the ESCO company would receive, in most cases, some sort of a management fee or a success fee uh, out of the energy savings directly. But it also means that if over the lifetime of the contract no such savings are achieved, then in fact the energy savings shortfalls would need to be compensated for or repaid by the ESCO company. Now, just on the basis of these elements, you can, you can, ima you can imagine that the project contractual framework is very complex in most cases. It is focused around, of course, risk allocation whereby performance risks, technical risks, uh, regulatory risks are normally pushed onto the ESCO company itself so that the client would really reap the benefits of, of the structure, but it does entail long-term cooperation. So these are not one or two year contracts, but rather longer term. And there are different types of financing models around such structures. And that again brings, of course, complexity because if, and that's most of the cases that we've seen, it's not the client, it's not the municipality or it's not the school that brings the financing, uh, but it's either the ESCO company and or uh, the project financing entities that would bring uh, uh, the, the financial resources. But uh, especially if the banks are involved, then you will see that their interests uh, are clearly ones that, if you want to really address those, it, it again makes the structure slightly complex. Um, now, in terms of uh, dealing with this type of complexities, um, you need to be aware of the fact that these contracts that we are speaking about are not really regulated contracts. These are not typical agreements that you would find in civil courts. But one area that I would like to draw attention to is that the Energy Efficiency Directive does have certain mandatory requirements for such uh, contractual structures. And interestingly, um, out of the, I think, 12 mandatory elements, Six, six mandatory items are focused on transparency and clarity of structure. And there is a reason why that is so. Um, what we have seen across our offices when we were dealing with ESCO projects uh, were a couple of uh, significant lessons. First of all, I have not come across uh, very successful contractual frameworks. Especially because in most cases, uh, experienced uh, well advisors and market players were brought in at the time when, when the bank financing was, was brought into the play. And by that time, the client and the escrow company have reached uh, their commercial agreements on many points. Now, that's a difficult approach to uh, structuring a project, especially if the commercial agreements are made without detailed regard to the local regulations. So, uh, and local regulations in these type of projects may not necessarily involve, you know, parliamentary acts. Sometimes it's really detailed municipality rules, etc., that would need to be taken into account. So details really do matter in, in these projects. Um, and uh, yes, of course, you know, speaking as a legal consultant, I can say that uh, we have been really uh, confronted with situations where uh, there, there was a misconception about uh, why uh, you know, these, these structures are needed to be 
well done. Uh, so some of the real problems that we've seen. Uh, the measurement and verification of, of energy savings uh, have often been left in, in vague terms in these structures because what we've been told is, well, both sides, the client and the ESCO company, understand what energy saving is. But when you, when you really are trying to put in an efficient energy saving scheme, it does matter in detail how you define this. Um, regulatory changes uh, are very risky areas for these projects because if, for example, regulated tariffs change substantially or regulated tariffs are in, uh, introduced, this can completely change the economics of the project, of course. Um, and again, this may be an area which is not really dealt in detail in, in the contract. Um, and the financing of public bodies is a very interesting area because uh, what we have also experienced uh, when dealing with uh, similar projects with, with public entities was that they lost appetite because they realized that due to certain governments uh, having an understanding that, well, there are savings being produced, uh, the benefit of the saving was immediately drawn away from the actual public body and put into, for example, regional or state budgets, all that benefit. So therefore, they lost their own interest. Um, and just one worry about dispute resolution clauses, uh, very highly debated in these projects. Uh, so our recommendations with respect to these type of projects is that um, you really have to raise, firstly, awareness of the benefits of these projects. But of course, at the same time, you have to remove some of the market barriers that, that really hinder uh, the successful implementation of these projects. Uh, and there is a lot of work to be done in relation to information sharing and the training of the stakeholders. Uh, most of the benefits that could, be that could be the result of these projects would be probably not at the you know, government level, but at the lower levels or regional level, or local levels. But really, there isn't much of a know-how um, about uh, these projects and their fairly detailed com uh, contractual structures. So you really have to do an effort uh, both you know, on a European level, but especially on a domestic level, to publicize success stories, tell the actual stakeholders how successful story um, uh, projects can be implemented, and, and give them training and potentially uh, elaborate model contractual frameworks. And if you ask me whether I'm saying this because we want to win new business, yes, of course, but not exactly just for that. But uh, really, especially when dealing with um, uh, uh, public bodies and, and municipalities, etc. cetera, uh, it would really help them if there were at least some sort of a model template for these kind of uh, projects. Now, turning to another type of energy efficiency uh, measure, uh, there are various uh, state interventions foreseen by the current e-regulative framework. There are certain direct legal obligations under the Energy Efficiency Directive and there are indirect legal obligations as well as certain stated aspects as well. Now, in terms of the direct legal obligations, uh, I think many of you are aware of the uh, obligations on the public sector to renovate a certain percentage of the total floor area of heated or cooled uh, public buildings, um, uh, which is one of the reasons why in Hungary most of the EU funds are being now spent on such uh, public sector renovations. Uh, whereas on the private sector, there are obligations and possibilities for setting up energy efficiency obligation schemes with the possibility of opting out. 
and the one area that I would like to uh, focus on a little bit more today is uh, one particular indirect legal obligation, which is the energy audit requirement. Um, uh, there are certain other uh, ones that are on the slide. Um, but the energy audit requirement uh, sounds quite technical. It's something to be, you know, get over with. Let's, you know, just do it and then, you know, we can wait a couple of years for, for, for the update. But uh, together with Linklater's, uh, so with the colleagues uh, of Christopher Bram and his team, we've done, uh, uh, effectively, Linklater has done a, a European-wide and we've done um, a, a survey across the jurisdictions we cover of the energy audit requirements and I will tell you in a sec uh, the results of that um, because it's quite, I think, telling. But just one word about um, stated aspects. Um, I think it's just important to be mindful of the fact that under the energy and environmental aid guidelines, energy efficiency is one area where uh, the promotion of state aid is possible, is foreseen, um, subject to various conditions, but both investment and operation aid are uh, foreseen by those guidelines, although on a notification basis. But for example, under the uh, general block exemption regulation, they're up to uh, you know, project value of 10 million euro per project. Um, even without notification, such stated measures may be taken by the member states. So turning to, to energy audits, um, we were asked, and, and of course the colleagues at Linklaters were asked uh, by quite a number of clients to advise them on the actual rules on energy audit. And I have to say that uh, it, it was kind of a surprise to me because I thought you know, it's going to be something very technical for the clients to get through um, and just you know, do it. But in reality, we ended up advising clients for, for weeks on trying to interpret the rules. Uh, and I have found that um, in a way, it's slightly disappointing that uh, there was such a divergence uh, in terms of the, uh, um, uh, of, of the national rules. And uh, because I have to come to an end very shortly, maybe what I will just say is, we are both, Christopher and myself, very happy to share with you the results of our survey. Um, uh, there are various important inconsistencies and for actual clients, entities working in the energy sector and, and outside of it, it is difficult. So I think it's good to have directives with national implementation, but those should be harmonized. Takeaways, I think it's both lacks of the energy efficiency measures that should be promoted more. Um, in terms of the market-based mechanisms, and that's my key message for today, there should be much more of those projects. It, they could be very successful, but there is much more work to be done in order to have those projects. Thank you very much for your attention.